Raised the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip, zap, kazoo! The Buckos just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop, and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play! Welcome to episode 41 of the 412 Double Play Podcast. Last episode before the season starts this Thursday, only a few days away. World Baseball Classic has wrapped with USA pooling a silver medal after a hotly contested battle with Japan. But for the Pirates, a lot more to be excited about heading into this season than we had in at least the past few years. I am, as always, your host, Michael Castriana. With me, my co-host, as usual, Ed Wassel. Later on, we will be joined by... Jack McMullen, play-by-play broadcaster for the Indianapolis Indians, as well as a host on the Just Baseball Show uh, podcast. Really excited to talk with him about the guys on Indy. But Ed, season is almost underway. Some roster decisions still looming. We've had a lot of cuts the past few days. But what are your thoughts now that we're in the last days of spring training? The roster's kind of coming together. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for some regular season baseball. Uh, excited to see what the opening day roster is going to actually be. A couple guys that not everyone's going to be happy about, but you have that every year. So, With the understanding that some of the guys who are going to be kept are there specifically because they are expendable when other guys come up and they will only be used in bench or utility roles. Right. So... Uh, the, the expectation that Andy Rodriguez is going to be sitting there as the number two catcher is a little bit overblown. And I, I think it's understandable for people to want to see him. But I mean, as we're going to talk about with Jack later on, Indianapolis is a pretty exciting team. So let's talk about the roster roundup and news this week. More guys optioned this past week as we slowly get that number on the major league roster to 26. Outfielders Cal Mitchell and Travis Swaggerty surprisingly sent down, as well as pitchers Luis Ortiz and Johan Ramirez, as well as utility player Tucapito Marcano, all optioned down to AAA Indianapolis. Uh, Andres Alvarez, Carter Bins, Cody Bolton, Carmen Majinski, Chavez Young, Daniel Zamora, Miguel Andujar, and Angel Perdomo were all reassigned to minor league camp. These were all non-40-man players that can kind of be sent down willy-nilly. Kevin Plowecki, catcher, was released from his minor league contract as he was advised he would not make the major league roster. Guys with a certain amount of service time have the option to opt out. Chris Owings was also informed that he didn't make the cut but opted to go to Indianapolis rather than opt out. And the Pirates currently have 36 players in Major League Camp. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. Big surprise, Travis Swaggerty, who had 
arguably the best spring of any player on the team. And we're, you know, a week away from the season opening. A lot of people thought that he was going to make the cut and he's back in Indianapolis to start the year. What are your thoughts on that? That was one of the moves that upset me with the spring that he was having. And we thought he deserved a shot last year. With where the outfield is at currently, there's mm-hmm. definitely room for him to play. So I'm not really sure what was going on there. Especially with the fact that we don't have a, I don't want to say capable, but a, a be above serviceable center fielder. Reynolds was negative defensively last year. And Sawinski is, uh, has potential to play pretty well. But at the same time, like we had him in right field last year. He's mostly played corner. He's he's good, but I don't like Swaggerty defensively would be exceptional in center field. And if the bat is like actually coming around, the big thing was that the power wasn't showing up in the minor leagues. And he had what three home runs this spring? I believe it was three. So I know a lot of it was later on in games where maybe he's not facing that top competition, but at the same time, you, you could, as the common refrain that we've been saying here, you can only face the pitchers they put you up against. You can only hit the pitches that come across the plate. And he was raking. So I, I was a little bit frustrated with that. The other guys, I, I understand there was some competition. Zamora, Perdomo, they were potentially. Uh, in play for a bullpen spot. It looks like, uh, I think Zestrinsky is the last one there of the non-roster guys. So possibly he ends up taking it. Possibly, you know, Charrington goes out and tries to find a waiver claim or something. Um, Did you see anything of Zestrinsky? I think I only saw maybe one appearance earlier on. He's. I think he has like a low 90s fastball, but he makes it work. I, I feel like anytime I looked at his stat line, he was putting up zeros. That's, you know, for a, a single inning left-handed reliever, you'll, I mean, you'll take that. That's kind of all you want. Just got to put up zeros. You don't need him to get flashy strikeouts. Yeah. Give up weak contact. It's going to be fine. All right, well, let's look at the weekly recap. Monday against the Red Sox, Luis Ortiz on the bump going three innings, three hits, two runs with two walks, two strikeouts. Jose Hernandez and Rob Zastrinsky look sharp in relief while G1 Bay notched two hits. Kanan Smith and Jigba got three hits with a stolen base. Tuesday at home against the Phillies with JT Brubaker getting the start. Five innings, four hits, two runs, and six strikeouts while Kutch had two hits, including a home run. Off day on Wednesday, but Thursday, Dwayne Underwood has an opener at home, taking on the Red Sox, rendering two runs on a home run in his inning of work before Johan Oviedo came on for four innings. He was looking very dominant for most of his outing. Four hits, two runs, another two-run home run, uh, seven strikeouts, and most importantly, zero walks in his outing. Three hits by Reynolds, multi-hit games for both Bay and Hayes. Friday in Lakeland against the Tigers. A lot of hits on both sides. Teams combined for 27 in total. Rowanzi started for the Bucks, going three and a third. Six hits, two runs, two walks, and three strikeouts. Dari Moretta looked really good in relief. Put up a scoreless frame. One hit, two strikeouts. 
Hayes had three hits, including a home run. Connor Joe had two hits, including a home run. G-Man Choi and Mark Mathias had two hits apiece. Uh, Saturday, Vince Velasquez, his sixth, uh, excuse me, his fourth turn of the spring, all of them against the Orioles. Best start of the spring for him. 16 swings and misses, five innings, three hits, one run, three walks, and seven strikeouts. Most of the swings and misses surprisingly came on his fastball, which was sitting low 90s. O'Neill Cruz had two very hard hits on the day and then Sunday gave us a bullpen game against the Braves I thought that originally it was supposed to be Rich Hill pitching so I was surprised didn't get to watch the game uh Crow Holderman Underwood each pitch an inning while some minor league guys filled in the rest bats were mostly quiet we were facing a starting lineup for the Braves uh so they they kind of overwhelmed us with Spencer Strider on the mound for them only three hits on the day, one of which came from Connor Joe, who was pulled early after a hit by pitch on the hand. Didn't appear to be anything serious, was a, a reportedly just a precaution, but something to keep in mind as the season starts up shortly. So, Ed, any impressions from this past week for you? Uh, because I will say Vince Velasquez, really surprising how well he did. Yeah, I was going to go with Velasquez as standing out. Uh, And for me, I think you say all four of his appearances were against the Orioles. Somehow. So uh, Oviedo kept going against the Yankees. That's even a little more impressive because that would give the benefit to or the advantage to the hitters seeing the pitcher more frequently. And he doesn't have overpowering stuff. His fastball was sitting 90. 293 maybe but it just had like a little bit of like kind of up and end to the um like inside on right-handed hitters and they just kept missing it it was the weirdest thing because he doesn't i mean i'm i'm in the you know camera well basically so what i see isn't what the hitters see but it it didn't look like it it should be getting the kind of results that it was getting yeah, it maybe just has some really late life to it. It's got to be that. But either way, it was really impressive. Um, so maybe we were a little premature in the Vince Velasquez should go to the bullpen train. I don't know. But so season starting up very soon. Only a couple days away, obviously. So let's talk about some predictions. And let's try to get some like bold bold predictions for you and I for the season, either player um, performance, how you think it's going to end at the end of the season, guys who you think might be traded, whatever. We're, we're doing three each. We haven't talked about specifically what those are. We're going to go uh, one at a time. Why don't you go first with your first one? I don't, I don't know which one I want to go with first. Uh, All right, go with that one then. Okay. I'll, I'll start out <laughs> swinging here. All right, go ahead. You. I'll, I'll offend you right away. Uh-huh. O'Neill Cruz will not lead the team in home runs this year. That's bold in a, in a weird way. If he doesn't <laughs> lead the team in home runs, like you, that's either you saying that you think he's going to get injured or will be so ineffective that they have to send him down. Because if he's playing, eventually he's going to get enough home runs to lead the team. Who do you think leads the team? Reynolds? Probably Reynolds. To, see, my thing is, <laughs> Cruz absolutely smashes the ball, uh-huh. but usually they're fairly low line drives. Like the, 
Um, yeah, I can't really argue with that. A lot of <laughs> no, like, like the other day, he hit is... he hit a ball like one oh nine, and the launch angle was like four. Right, he has <laughs> all like of the power to to lead the league in home runs, but it just seems, and I'm fine with having, you know, line drives like that. But to me, it's just not going to translate to as many home runs as I think some people are expecting, unless he can, you know, change his swing path a little bit or whatever it may be. All right. Hey, I am okay with it because of the explanation, but that that is a bold prediction. Um, I See, now I feel like mine's not going to be as bold because <laughs> I think that Bruce's one of... Home runs. My, I, I think that... No. Um, I think that one of our starting pitchers is going to have a 10-plus win season. Okay. I think the the guy who led the team in wins last year was like Will Crow with four or something like that. Like nobody, it was just weird kind of thing. Kind of want to look that up, but I think Mitch Keller or Contreras. I I think one of them has the potential to go out and end up like having ten plus win season. I'm not even going to argue with you. I like that prediction. All right. See, maybe it wasn't that bold. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, I got to go back and see like who exactly led that. But all right. So you go with your second one while I try to pull that up. I should have had that up already, but. All right. Well, my second one almost piggybacks what you said. Now, apparently I'm just being a lot more bold than you today because I was going to say two starters have 10 plus wins this year <gasps> no okay well i mean i was saying keller and Contreras, so we're actually and it right was keller team. and Contreras who i was going with yeah will crow and chase DeYoung each had six wins last season which is Contreras and keller each had five so you know yeah. but wow see but that would be a huge jump um i also think that um, Brubaker, if he stays in the rotation all season, could have 200-plus strikeouts. Ooh, that's a bold one. Yeah. His, <laughs> because his strikeout rate is off the charts. Oh, yeah. But, uh, like, it's, last year he had 147 in 144 innings. And he's increased that rate considerably. Um, so far in spring, which, you know, grain of salt, once again, guys are working on stuff. You're not facing the top guys, but he has 26 strikeouts and 17.1 innings. You stretch that out over, let's say 160 innings. And he's bridging that 200 number. And I don't know the last time we had a 200 strikeout guy. If he gets 30 starts, I can see him having 200 strikeouts and giving up 39 home runs. <laughs> That's like his ERA is still going to be like five because he just just that. And I like Brubaker. It's just the, the home run bug. Yeah. Well, let's. I'll segue into my second pick, which involves home runs. And you're going to probably dispute this one, but I think he, Brian Hayes, will have at least 20 home runs this season. Yeah, I will dispute that one. This, this is why you, you got to read my article. Recently posted on InsideTheBucksBasement.com. 
about why Key Brian Hayes is going to be a power hitting third baseman this season. Yeah, you and I have argued about this for <laughs> all of oh, his exit velocity has been great, and now it's even better. And his launch angle is where it needs to be in order to make this happen. Okay, I just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't see it. I, I, once again, like Hayes a lot. The, the, well, at least my second one was bold enough for you to dispute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what is your third one? Now, I don't know if my third one's bold enough, but my third one is that Endy will finish top five in Rookie of the Year votes. I mean, I th- think that's pretty bold because Jordan Walker of the Cardinals was just announced that he's going to make opening day roster. Um, not in the same league, but. Uh, Anthony Volpe of the Yankees that was recently announced that he's making it a lot of teams are promoting their top prospects Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks he's still a rookie um so he and in the National League there's a number of guys Andy we're probably not going to see until June at the earliest so he's going to have like be playing catch up uh with a lot of very talented prospects. And you, you know we're going to get under-the-radar guys like we had last year with Spencer Strider and Michael Harris. So, I mean, that's that's pretty bold. If, if he is even in consideration with that little time to be able to prove himself, that's going to be an impressive season. So I hope that happens. So do I. <laughs> All right, so my third one is a two-parter. First one, the team will not strictly be sellers at the deadline. They might be like buyers and sellers, or they might be buyers, but I don't think they're just going to be unloading and getting rid of guys like they have been the past few years. And on that kind of vein, I think they're going to be flirting with 500 in September. Okay. I think that a lot, especially with a lot of those top prospects that we're hoping to see come up and, you know, we'll be discussing that with uh, Jack in a little bit because there's so many top prospects in Indianapolis. Last year was Altoona. This year, Indianapolis is just loaded with prospects, guys to watch. And it'll be interesting to see them come up and see what happens. What do you consider flirting with 500 being? Uh, within a few games, right? But you know, what is it? <laughs> once again? <laughs> what do you consider flirting with five hundred? Yeah, are they going to be? Oh, they're going to be within five games of five hundred, or you know, within ten games of five hundred? Is that flirting? No, not not within ten games. I w- I would say like within a like sh- series sweep of five hundred at points in September. So within like, like three to five games. It's pretty bold. It could happen. And then, you know, they can go on a a run and just, like, fall apart. Lose seven straight. Happened a couple times, I think, last year. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I've, I think that we could potentially have, like, other bold predictions regarding, like, how the rotation's going to look by the end of the season. But I don't. I don't 
think that it's going to be optimistic or pessimistic, really, to say like, oh, you know, at the end of the season, it's going to be Quinn Priester and Michael Burrows and Luis Ortiz and, you know, all these guys. It's like, I mean, that'd be great. But that also means that guys who were at the major league level struggled enough or were injured you or, know, were traded. At, or were traded. So I, I, I hope to see everybody come up and be successful when the time is right. And I'm hoping that we're just overall going to have a fun season. I mean, I'm not going to say like going to the ballpark will be fun, win or lose, because it's definitely more fun when you win. But I think that, and I hope that we're going to have more wins this season than at least the past few seasons. Okay, joining us now, Indianapolis Indians play-by-play broadcaster as well as host of the Just Baseball Show podcast, Jack McMullen. Jack, thank you for jumping on with us. Appreciate you taking time to talk Indians ball with us. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. I, I love talking about a team that is young and exciting. They were young and exciting last year, and uh, fingers crossed they will stay that way for 150 games this year. <laughs> That's definitely the hope. Now, we've got a lot that we want to cover here, but let's start with you Entering your second season with Indy, uh, 2020 graduate from Syracuse, worked previously with the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, a high A affiliate for the Padres is what I've read. So not a far distance from your old organization coming to Indianapolis, but talk to us about your journey the past three years. Yeah, so I, let's see, so I graduated, I, I strategically built it so I could get out to work the 2020 minor league season. And I think you guys both know how the 2020 minor league season went. It's a very smart, smart move. Yeah. Really (laughs) smart move on my end. So I was, um, I was calling Syracuse basketball and they got to the ACC tournament in March of 2020. And that was going to be my, my swan song at Syracuse. So we go and that's the conference tournament that the world shut down during. So all of a sudden I'm in a car moving to Fort Wayne and I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm going to call any baseball, but I was able to do it in 2021. That was great. And then um, I was able to stay in the Hoosier state, which was awesome. Um, I went to Syracuse, but originally from the Chicagoland area. So I wanted to get back to the Midwest, had some family in the Indy area and latched on with ball state doing some football, basketball stuff there. Right. Uh, and, And then, you know, Indy was the perfect fit after that. And then this, uh, the podcast stuff, it, it just started taking off when I was in Fort Wayne too. And the beauty of that a hundred percent remote. So I yeah. can live anywhere. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, uh, some of the podcast stuff in a second, but going back. So you grew up outside of Chicago. Uh, what was it? Uh, Oak park. Oak You're park. Okay. So biases aside, did you grow up as a Cubs fan, White Sox fan, or non-local team? Okay, so both <laughs> at different points. I was born in Lincoln Park. I was a 10-minute walk from Wrigley for the first five years of my life, so the years that I don't remember baseball that well, but my first photos are of me in a Sammy Sosa onesie in the bleachers, so I, I guess I was a true diehard Cubs fan at the age of two. And then we moved to the Burbs. Oak Park is the first suburb west of the city. And it was either a 40-minute traffic-laden commute to go watch Randy Wells pitch for the Cubs, or it was 20 minutes, easy to get to the ballpark. I pay $6, and I get to go see Mark Burley or Chris Sale pitch. So that's where things started to shift for me. Um, So a White Sox fan, what I will say is in 2017 – I was really lucky to intern with WGN and that was the last year that they were um, 
housing Cubs telecasts and sitting in the back of the TV booth at Wrigley Field kind of ignited that Cubs fire again. I was like, wow, I understand why Vin Scully called this the best view in all the sports. And uh, I, I think that reigns true. So I support both, but I definitely lean, I definitely lean White Sox. Okay. Well, hopefully you lean a little bit more Pirates, yes. uh, especially since we've got the home opener with the White Sox in a uh, little under two weeks now. Yep. So that's exciting. Uh, so as I said earlier, uh, with your baseball, ju- the Just Baseball Show podcast was listening the other day. You were talking about the NL Central, how the Indians might have the strongest rotation in all of minor league baseball, was your quote. Yep. So let's start there. First off, I agree, 100%. Second, cool. though, who specifically do you see in that rotation, whether it's five or six man, because that's kind of been something that's been toyed with with the, the schedules and uh, give me your thoughts on, on some of those guys. Yeah, I, I'm excited to show up to the ballpark every day. And obviously, I'd be excited if, you know, you or I was the starting pitcher. But, you know, it's even more enticing when you have somebody that, you know, can fill the strike zone, has quality stuff and does look like a future Pittsburgh Pirate. And all of these guys, I do believe, with the exception of maybe one or two, should get starts in Pittsburgh at some point this year, just knowing how, you know, the injury ebbs and flows and performance ebbs and flows work at the major league level. So the way I see it is there are six guys that I think are really factoring into what could be the Indians rotation. Um, Johan Oviedo likely not to make the team out of camp. I think Oviedo's there. Luis Ortiz was already optioned. You already saw Ortiz at the big league level. I think Ortiz is there. Mm-hmm. Mike Burrows is a top 10 prospect in the organization. I love watching Mike pitch. It's a high spin fastball and a hammer curveball, an improving changeup. Everybody knows about Quinn Priester, so there's four right there. Osvaldo Beto is a name that not many people are too aware of outside of the pirate circles, but Beto was in the rotation for the entirety of last year. He's mid to high nineties on the perfect day. He'll run it up and sit 97, 98. And again, on the perfect day, he's a strike thrower. He fills the zone with sliders. And then I love Kyle Nicholas. And that guy has, you know, some local flair to him as a ball state alum. And uh, I, I thought that he threw really well in Altoona last year. And I think that that's the type of guy that can make starts, almost be a swingman for them. So those are like the five or six that I think are truly in the rotation. If they do opt for five, I can totally see them moving Nicholas to the bullpen. But I'm really excited to show up to the ballpark and see Ortiz, Burroughs, Priester, Oviedo, and Beto. Okay. We did see Beto in a start, I think it was last week. And that was the first time I think I'd been able to see him pitch because he's not one of the highly touted prospects. So when I tune into the minor league games, it's not him that I'm looking for. Really impressive. Lots of strikes. Like you said, high in the zone. Fastball, I think, was like 97, 98. So that was really impressive. Kyle Nicholas is a guy that I've been really high on. There has been some talk because he's had walk issues that he may end up moving to the bullpen. So that brings me to another guy I wanted to talk about now we've seen some of Carmen Majinski this spring looking very sharp, but they only had him going in single inning appearances. And it feels kind of like a lose-lose situation from his perspective, since people are talking about him as long-term in a relief role. If he does poorly in those appearances, maybe he's just a bad pitcher. If he does well, maybe he's only good as a reliever. It kind of like um, reinforces the belief that that's where he's going to end up. Is he likely to shift into a bullpen role 
in Indy or was this simply to get him reps and he'll either stay in the rotation in Altoona due to the backlog of pitchers? So short answer is, I don't know. Longer answer is what's tough about that is the expectation that is set on a starter that is moving to the bullpen right away, because you do see guys that experience immediate success. A top 100 guy in all of baseball right now is DL Hall with the Baltimore Orioles. And Hall is a lefty that can run it up to 100, crazy slider, crazy changeup. He walks everybody on God's green earth. So that doesn't really work as a starting pitcher. You move him to the bullpen, you see him in two inning spurts, he's lights out because that's one walk. Instead of stretching out over four, you've got three walks sprinkled in there. So I think that's the type of thing that we're talking about with Majinski. Um, I, I would like to see him, if he does project as a reliever long-term, get some bullpen reps. It's also not a bad thing. And of course, guys are going to be frustrated that, hey, I'm not in the starting pitching plans. There are a billion starting pitchers in every organization, and there are five spots in every rotation. And these guys are clamoring to get up to the major leagues. They're clamoring to get that 40-man money to, to make it to arbitration. And if that's how you do it, if you do it in the inning or two spurts, then so be it. And if his stuff ticks up from the low to mid-90s to the upper 90s, and all of a sudden he's 96, 97 instead of 92 to 94, I mean, you're looking at a guy that's incredibly valuable and is either a trade chip if he works out really well, or he factors into your bullpen of the future. Yeah, and I think he was running up and touching 98 this spring. Yeah. So, And I'm kind of bouncing back on that point, five rotation spots, but there's eight guys in the bullpen. Yes. So a lot easier to get into that role. And we so, know how volatile relievers are, right? I mean, you could be Bednar. I, I fully expect David Bednar to be great this year, but you could be an all-star one year and off the face of the planet the next year. Well, especially with his back issues. And that was something that was really concerning the second half last season where he kind of fell off a cliff. Uh, Will Crow being overworked. I mean, there's some questions about how the Pirates are going to fill spots in the bullpen entering this season. So we've got Robert Stevenson and Harlan Garcia likely to start on the injured list. But even with the two openings there, it's likely that guys like Johan Ramirez, Colin Selby, Dari Moretta, guys who have really good stuff end up heading to Indy to start the season just because they have options that guys like DeYoung and uh, Dwayne Underwood don't. So who do you see kind of being left out from the bullpen group uh, of the, the guys still remaining or who, what, what arms do you see heading to Cincinnati? Yeah. So I, I think Selby is at the top of that list, right? Just because he has no service time. He, he came up for a brief cameo in Indy. So I could certainly see Selby getting some more reps in Indianapolis. And, you know, that's a guy that can run it up to 99, 100 miles an hour and has a great lower 90s slider. So the slider's so devastating. Yeah. Devastating. So he's got like big league setup life in his future. I think Gary De Los Santos has big league closer life in his future. Um, so I think Gary is on the team. He should be. We know how good he is when he's healthy. Obviously, he dealt with some injury stuff once he got up to Pittsburgh. I don't think DeYoung is a guy that that is going to come down. DeYoung was so good in that new role last year after a couple of starts in Indianapolis. Yeah, he doesn't have any options either. Yeah. Yuri, so, Yuri does, though. So that's why I'm thinking because of the injuries, he potentially could. He could. Um, 
you know, I think Selby's the one that jumps to my mind. I don't know if Dowry Moretta is, is the type of guy that, you know, should make it out of camp when you have so many other talented arms there as well. Um, all I know is like, there's a lot of traffic there and, and I'll use the word traffic for the starting rotation. Cause I do think that there are some big league ready guys or near big league ready guys that are going to be in Indianapolis. I'll use the word traffic for the outfield. Cause obviously that's a serious comp competition. And then there's a lot of traffic in the bullpen right now. And we know that those guys go down left and right. So I think everybody's going to get their shot at some point in the first couple months. Yeah, I'm, there's a lot of guys that I'm really excited to see. And uh, I'm honestly, with all of the guys that have kind of cycled through this spring, I was not expecting Vince Velasquez to be as good as he I mean, you know, he got four outings against the Orioles. He's seen them enough times. But uh, in the game we just saw him in, uh, he he got like 20 swings and misses in like the first four or five innings. Uh, he got seven strikeouts. He's starting to look better. Rich Hill... Mitch Keller, Rowanza Contreras, uh, Brubaker, he's still getting like hit and miss on his starts, but it, it's just really exciting to see the opportunities that's that's coming in there. Yes, 100%. And I don't think anybody was really expecting Vince Velasquez to shove in the way that he has this spring. And, you know, that complicates things. And, and I thought, okay, flip candidate or just trial candidate, similar to what the Cubs are doing with Eric Hosmer, right? Matt Mervis was an insane breakout last year in yep. the minor leagues. I think a lot of people were clamoring for Mervis to be the opening day first baseman. You grab Eric Hosmer, you're not blocking Matt Mervis. If Hosmer is not good for the first 30 days of the season, you get him off the team and you grab the other guy. It's Major League Baseball. It's a business. So I, yeah. I think that Vince Velasquez was a prime candidate in that way, right? Where hey, if we get anything good out of him, he's on the roster and he's making starts every fifth day. But if he does stink, it, it's no worry. You know, that's a DFA candidate and we've got other guys that are ready. So right now, it's looking like he's not going to stink. And listen, as somebody that grew up a White Sox fan, like I, I watched Vince Velasquez stink for a little bit. Yep. Ed, you want to go? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. So we had a number of uh, players perform really well this spring. And one of the recent cuts we had was Swaggerty getting sent back down. And I believe, not going to be a direct quote, but Shelton had said something along the lines of there was nothing more he could have done to make the team. So it seems like they already had their mindset that he wasn't going to be on the opening day roster. But, I mean, what more could he do to improve his stock and also – uh, how do you feel that like the front office sees him for a future spot on the team? Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting way to put it. Um, and, and that is, if I'm in Travis Swaggerty's shoes, I'm pretty defeated if I hear that, right? Because no matter what I did, I was fighting a losing battle. This guy hit 380 in 19 games. He had an 1160 OPS. He had three homers. So what else are you going to do? And not to mention... He kind of caught the strikeout bug a little bit in Indy last year, seven punch outs and 34 plate appearances. That's incredibly palatable. So Swaggerty, I, I don't know. I'd like to see him hit for a little bit more power. I'd like to see this lack of strikeout, you know, continue in the first couple months of the AAA season. But I thought he did everything he needed to do to win a big league job. 
Um, he spent the entire year in triple last year, but I mean, that, that wording makes me feel like, you know, they were kind of sold on where he was going to start this year, regardless of outcome. We see Anthony Volpe with the Yankees right now, obviously pushing for that opening day roster spot. We see Jordan Walker with the Cardinals pushing for that opening day roster spot. The big difference between those two examples and, and Swaggerty is that those guys are blue chip prospects. We know Swaggerty was once a blue chip prospect. I, I put it this way on a previous show. I think we do need to move the goalposts a little bit on Swaggerty. Because while he may not be that top 100 guy anymore, I think that he can be an elite fourth outfielder. And I think that he's going to have a big league job for a decade. I thought this was going to be year one. It still could very well be year one. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that wording was pretty deflating if, I've, if I'm in Swaggerty's shoes. I, yeah, I think, and I mean, at, at his age, I mean, I believe he's 25 now. 25. Yeah. You should. The, the team should not be worried about service time or anything like that. We're with CSN being 23. Okay, I can understand if you want him to to sit back for a little while before you bring him up. But being 25, I mean, six years in, he's going to be 31. You're not really worried about service time at that point. Right. And and credit to Kanan, too. You know, you, you got to give Kanan, Kanan credit for hitting as well as he did, because this was a guy that ripped out a 940 OPS this spring. So it, I also love both of these guys. Kanan is as good an interview as you will hear this year. He's funny as all get out. Um, he's, he's a great clubhouse presence. So, you know, these are two really good dudes that happened to have a really strong spring and it was going to be a serious battle. The other thing that I love, um, baseball reference does opponent quality. Have you guys seen that? Where yeah. they almost grade you on a, like a one to 10 scale, the quality of, of pitcher that you're gonna see. Swaggerty, better numbers, lower opponent quality. What does that tell you? It tells you that they were putting him in positions that are a little bit later in game and they were giving Kanan the big league opportunities there. So with Kanan Smith and Jigba succeeding in big league opportunities and Swaggerty killing minor league opportunities, I don't know, like it's apples to oranges at that point. And I understand going with the guy that, that saw way more big league pitches this spring. Yeah, but it, it's frustrating for Swaggerty because he can't, he doesn't have control over that. No. He plays, he's a better defensive, like he's got better speed than CSN, which I'm not, I love CSN. Like I, I would have had both of them make the club and just okay. like, I, I don't know, platoon Sawinski have yeah, cut just DHA, uh, yeah. DH on that. But um, they were both just looking so great. Um Going back to the thing with the Sheltie comment, though, I feel like there's been a lot of comments recently. Is uh, Travis Williams had uh, an interview the other day where he was basically saying, like, I don't have the direct quote pulled up, something to the extent of people will be coming to the ballpark and they'll, they'll leave and they'll be like, yeah, the Pirates lost bad today, but I want to go back because I had such a great time. It's like... You don't want to be saying that when you came in and we're overhauling this rebuild. Like, I don't, we don't all expect to have a winning season in 23, but we expect it to be a lot more competitive following 200 loss seasons and the COVID year where we would have been on pace for 100 losses. Yeah. So it, is there like some sort of messaging that is they're working on, or is this just some sort of a PR disaster and they're just rolling with it? 
I, I, I probably can't speak to either of them because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in Indianapolis right now and they're, they're dealing with that thing in Pittsburgh. You know, when, when you say that, my mind goes to Rocky's ownership saying, I truly believe that we can be a 500 ball club this year. And, and you hope to raise expectations a little higher than that. Um, now, obviously, you guys know and, and I have come to learn that the pirate experience, I've heard PNC Ballpark is, is one of the best on the planet and I, I have yet to be there, but that is at the very top of my list. Um, and, and I know that the surrounding neighborhood is excellent. So I, I understand where they are coming from in terms of the family fun environment of a Pittsburgh Pirates game. I also think that they are trying really hard and it starts with Ben Charrington to put together a really quality product on the field. And I think that this is one of the more underratedly fun products that'll be on the field in the national league this year. And I, I'm not sure if you guys are gambling guys. I you know, obviously can't bet, but um, I have a co-host on the just baseball show that is deep into the gambling space. You got to learn about it. If you do the podcast stuff in 2023, um, the pirates, I think they're over win total. I think it's at 70 ish. Um, that has the most money on it of any other teams over win total. So betters love the Pittsburgh Pirates to be better this year. I think that speaks to O'Neill Cruz getting a full 162. I think that speaks to Rowanzi Contreras being on the roster on opening day. I think it speaks to a lot of fun being on this roster and it being a bit more competitive. So I do think that, you know, while the wording may have been tough with some of those things, their actions are, you know, deliberately good. Yeah, I think that betting line actually started out somewhere around like 63 games. And with all the bets coming in, they started to, to, to bring it up. Yeah, it, it was at like 68 and a half last time I looked. So it's probably was is or was around there. Um, and so going back to PNC Park, it, it's a beautiful ballpark. The scoreboard, the new scoreboard is going to be enhancing that. Uh, and they have been making improvements, which is great. I just want them to be a little bit more cautious with how they project that message because yeah. this the, the fan base isn't friendly. <laughs> we've had three winning seasons. Well, okay, we've had four winning seasons, three playoff seasons in 30 years. Well, I mean, the, the, the fan base is friendly to other people, just not towards Not ownership. <laughs> and the thing is, like, everybody hates nutting, and I'm like, nutting's the only one that's saying the right things. Like, he comes out and says, like, yeah, I talked to Kutch. Yeah, we're going to make something happen with Kutch because it's going to work for him. Oh, yeah, uh, I talked to Charrington. I talked to Reynolds. I don't like how this whole thing's going. We're going to make sure we make this right. I'm like, you guys got to, like, take from Nutting's lead somehow I'm saying here on right before the season starts. Because yeah. <laughs> those are the right things to say for from right. a public relations perspective. You want to show that you are have the team's best interests at heart and aren't just doing it for the money purposes. A hundred percent. And I, and I'm certainly, you know, not in the position to hyperanalyze, you know, every, every quote that is put out by, by those guys. But, you know, what I will say just by keeping a, a, a watchful eye on all 30 teams in major league baseball, being in the position that I'm in right now is the best thing that you can do to draw people to a baseball game is win baseball games and put together a quality product on the field. So yes, there are a lot of, 
you know, flawed quotes from, you know, every single owner and GM and manager in Major League Baseball. But the great teams get away with it because they're winning. Winning cures everything, right? And and you see that across Major League Baseball. You see that in college sports. Listen, I went to Syracuse. I I interacted with Jim Beheim for four years, and I've kept a close tabs on Jim Beheim, you know, all the way through his retirement, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the best thing that that guy did for his image was win a lot of college basketball games. So if they do, you know, put together that quality on field product, I think that there will probably be a bit more leeway because if they are, you know, a 500 team, I think that's going to make that fan base really happy. And I think that I've been really lucky to see a lot of those pieces in the last year. And I'll see more that will factor into the next winning era of Pirates baseball. Yeah, uh, hopefully. Now I want to. I'm going to jump back to the um, Indianapolis team, but taking a break from Pirates organization from a minute. You mm-hmm. were just down in Florida for the past like three weeks, I think, for the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, I was just there a week. Arm's been there for three weeks. One of my co-hosts. Arm was there. Okay. Yeah. So being down there, experiencing it firsthand, I know you went to the finals, Japan versus U.S. Two powerhouse squads. What was the atmosphere like there? And how can you compare it to any other MLB experience? I can't. Um, I've never been to a World Series, but imagine a game that every pitch matters. And a guy gets walked in the second inning with nobody on base and one out. And it's a tie game, nothing, nothing. There's a roar of applause from that fan base. And I'm sitting there like, what? If only we got this every day. But then I thought, okay, if we get this every day, then we're going to have no energy left by June. So, you know, we may be fighting a losing battle. It was a lot closer to a World Cup type environment that I was ever expecting. And I guess we're six years removed from the last World Baseball Classic. I remember the Adam Jones catch. I remember the Baez tag. I don't really remember the pitch by pitch reaction from the fan base and I obviously wasn't there so like I was watching on TV I think this was a different beast though and I I think that the only place that that tournament fell short was in the United States pitching staff construction right like that's it everybody else said yes Sandy Alcantara was in the rotation for the Dominican Republic every good player on every other team was there if they were healthy the only ones that opted out were starting pitchers for the United States. So when you have that buy-in, and I think the second place finish is really going to help starting pitchers um, what uh, be involved in the WBC in, in 2026. But um, I, I think that level of buy-in, that level of emotional fire from these players kind of spurred that on in the crowd. And, and that crowd was unlike anything I've been to. And I've been to a college football national championship game. I've been to big time college basketball games. That was as bought in of a crowd as I think I've ever seen, regardless of sport. And it blows any other baseball crowd out of the water. Yeah. And I mean, US won in 2017, but the inaugural one, was it 06 or something like that? Yeah. 05. Um, It was Griffey, Chipper Jones, and that was it. It was a bunch of like major leaguers, but not like the kind of caliber of Trout and Mookie Betts and uh, Trey Turner. Like that, that's a the the offense was amazing. 
And you could argue that the U.S. could not have put together a better lineup than, than some of the lineups yep. that they ran out. Obviously, Harper would have been in that lineup, but Harper had Tommy John, so he is not healthy. So if you took an entire pool of healthy American hitters, I don't think you find a better lineup. Yeah. Trey Turner just signed $300 million contract. They batted him ninth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Most expensive nine hitter ever. I bet. I bet. They didn't have to pay it. No. All right. So let's talk Indianapolis again. Last season, early on at least, Altoona was the team to watch. So all of the top prospects, or a, a lot of the top prospects at least, started there. This season, most of them have now hopefully probably been migrating to Indy. Nick Gonzalez, potentially Leo Verpiguero if he doesn't have to stay in Altoona another season. Andy Rodriguez, Malcolm Nunez. They're all guys to watch on the dirt who were in Altoona in 22. Now that curve team didn't quite reach expectations due in large part to number of injuries key players underperforming numbers from others but whose personal success on this team is most critical for the team overall to be successful in your mind yeah i think it's andy um i I think if andy rodriguez is anywhere close to what he was last year the pirates are are in a really good spot and, and have a really tough decision to make down the road if Henry Davis is healthy. I think Eddie Rodriguez is as complete a catching prospect as you'll find in Major League Baseball right now. He feels very Gabriel Moreno, who is the headliner of that Dalton Varsho deal right? um, that that sent Moreno from Toronto to Arizona. I think Moreno was closer to Alejandro Kirk than he was Danny Jansen when you stack up those three catchers. Moreno is, you know, when you talk – 20 to 80 scale among prospects, a 70 grade hitter. I think Andy Rodriguez is, is flirting with that. Obviously we need to see him do it again, but as of right now, he's probably a 60, 65 grade hitter and he could be a 70 grade hitter. When you have a catcher that is good behind the plate, that has the ability to hit 300 with 25 homers at his best possible outcome, you can't move that guy. So I, I think if he does validate what he did in 2022 we could be looking at a guy that is on the fast track to being a top 10 catcher in the game so i i think Andy is that guy um somebody else i'm really excited to see is nick gonzalez and, and really the only thing that has hampered him is is injury and you can you know say oh well he had an ops in the low 800s last year i want to say but he was playing through some stuff like i think that was pretty clear that he was playing through some injury so yeah I am really excited to see a healthy Nick Gonzalez. I hope I get to see Peggy. Um, you know, last year that Altoona infield was really fun. Obviously, my focus was really on O'Neill Cruz because um, why not, right? And Jiwan Bay, I absolutely love Jiwan Bay, and I loved his breakout last year to being a legitimate, you know, big league player. Uh, yeah. I, I think that we could see Nick Gonzalez make that type of jump, and I, I think if Andy continues to do what he did. We're looking at a future star. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, squad at Indianapolis. I think like all of the teams, all of the minor league affiliates really have some interesting prospects, guys that are exciting to watch. But let's wrap it up with some guys whom you're most looking forward to seeing in Indy this season, specifically any like under the radar players. So obviously, Indy is going to be exciting to watch. Nikki G., but who who do you think could break out in 23? 
That's a good question. I am a huge fan of starting pitching. So I am all eyes on every pitch. And I'm listen, I'm paid to be all eyes on every pitch for the Indianapolis Indians. But yeah. uh, I am all eyes on every pitch of, of Mike Burroughs. Um, I am, you know, I, I think that Burroughs and Quinn Priester and Ortiz all have the ability to be really good big leaguers. But th- there's something that is so hard to replicate about 98 upstairs with a hammer of a curveball and a changeup that is working really well in, in right on left matchups. So I think Burroughs, while he did kind of break out in double last year, when he got to triple, he was really good for four innings and then he would taper off a little bit. I think that there were some endurance issues. If I see Mike Burroughs rip together quality starts in May and June, I feel really good about that guy possibly being a, a frontline starter there. Yeah, he's a guy, and he just added a slider before yeah. spring, and that was looking really sharp. He hasn't—he didn't show it too many times before he was uh, sent back to minor league camp, but it was really exciting to see. Lots of exciting stuff in Indy. Man, it, this was awesome. Jack, thanks again for jumping on with us. Look forward to listening to you on the Indians and on the Just Baseball podcast. Appreciate it, guys. Anytime. That wraps it up for all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. Thank you once again to our guest, Jack McMullen. Had a blast talking with him. You can find him on Twitter at Jack underscore McMullen 11. Follow him as the voice of the Indianapolis Indians all season long. Listen to him along with his co-host on the Just Baseball Show podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at 412 Double Play. Follow Ed at Ed underscore Wassel. Continue listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you tune in. From all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks.